Okay, guys, we're, we're entering into the last two weeks of our study. We were looking at two letters, Colossians and uh, Philemon. So we're going to start our study into Philemon. And usually when these two are, letters are studied or presented, they're usually presented together. And the reason why is Philemon is from the Colossian church, and the Colossian church met in his home, okay? And that's why they're normally uh, studied together. And But this letter, just to be very honest with you, is a uh, personal letter from Paul. This is a very personal letter, but for some reason, because it was from Paul, they would still share it, okay? So, okay, like, for instance, uh, let's say... Uh, let's say I'm in Hong Kong, okay, and I decide to write Brad a letter that I want him to personally take care of something, okay. What they would do is is they, they would send it by the messenger to the church. Brad would get the letter, but Brad's got to read the letter that I sent him personally to the rest of you. How, don't you think that's weird? Okay. Well, there may be a reason why it was done, and we'll talk about that next week when we get into what the heart of the letter is. But uh, it's it's a very personal letter. So let me, just before we start, I want you to understand this. I'm going to give you a little bit of guidance. When you read, is everyone aware that when you read the Bible, you should not read every book the same way? What do you mean, George? Well, you have different types of books in the Bible. For instance, the Psalms, that's poetry. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so, therefore, you're going to approach poetry a little bit different. When you approach the Proverbs, again, which is also poetry, but Proverbs are like pithy statements of truth. All right? So it's not like it's a concrete statement. It's just statements of wisdom. If you do this, this will happen type thing. Okay? Uh, when you look at a historical book, like Acts, or even 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, Chronicles, Joshua, those, those, are his, those are listing for you historical facts that are happening, okay? When you come to the letters, the epistles, you need to understand that they are what, the, what, are, what they are typically called are, are called occasional letters. Now, what does occasional letters mean? What it means is is that they were written for a specific occasion. Usually the letters were written in response to a question, and you'll see a lot of times Paul will be answering a question, but you guys don't know what the question is. You just know what his answer is, okay? Or he's addressing a specific problem and so forth. With this issue here, it's a personal letter, and the occasion happens to be about a slave by the name of Onesimus, okay? So when you understand that, it helps you to read better and it helps you not to just grab verses and hold them to yourself, okay? So for instance, I'll give you an example. Like I've been studying uh, and preparing lessons for Jeremiah, okay? Because i got to do a conference in, in uh, the end of April, beginning of May, where I'm supposed to teach on Jeremiah for four days. And so I'm up to chapter 29. Now, chapter 29 is a favorite chapter for a lot of Christians. I know the plans that I have for you. I've heard lots of people claim that. Problem is, is that all of it's claimed out of context. Out of context. 
That's not what he's talking about. What are you talking about, George? That verse means so much to me. Read the context of the letter. It's Jeremiah's first letter to the exiles in Babylon. And he tells them at the beginning of the letter, go ahead and settle in. Get families. Marry. Have children. Pray for the peace of the place you're in. And just settle down because you're going to be there for 70 years. And then after the 70 years are complete, God says to them, to Israel there in exile, I'll remember you and bring you back to the land. That's where we quote those verses. Those verses were meant for Israel in their captivity. But we take them out of context. So what I'm trying to say to you is, is when you read your Bible, you have to remember what type of document it is and what's the purpose of it. That that will help you. Now, can you glean something from it? Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot to glean from there. If you search with God with all your heart, the scripture says there, it's very, that's a principle that's true. You're going to find God. He'll find you. Okay? So what we're looking at here is an occasional document, but it's a personal document. So let's look. We're going to look just at the first seven verses today. And we're going to, it's, some of it's just going to seem boring. That's fine. I'll try not to make it boring. But we're just going to look here at the introduction part and see some things that you need to notice that are different from this letter from the other letters, okay? So notice what he says. Verse 1, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, and to the beloved Apaphia, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith, which you have towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in, which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Okay, so what we're going to do first of all is we're going to look at the greeting. Notice a couple things here. Now, <clears throat> here's what I want you to notice. He, first of all, he, he, the writer of the letter is Paul. So we already know that. He said that right up front. He starts his letters the way they all start their letters. Okay, the writer of the letter is Paul. Paul identifies himself only as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He identifies himself only as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, has anybody noticed something that's different here with this identification compared to his other letters? Think about the other letters that we've studied. Think about Colossians that we just studied. When Paul says, Paul, and then he makes a statement about who he is, what does he normally point out about who he is? Okay, yeah, that's one of the things he says. Okay, that's correct. But in a lot of his letters, he will also point out what? 
apostle. Okay? You'll notice here that he doesn't start out this letter with Paul, prisoner of the Lord, apostle. Okay? You'll notice that he doesn't do that. Most of his letters, Paul identifies himself as an apostle. What we have here is a personal letter. It's to Philemon. You know? Like if, okay, so let me go back to Brad. So I write Brad a letter. Brad, George, the pastor. Seriously, I mean, okay? Is that personal? Do you know what I'm saying? Do you see what I'm saying? So you, you right off the bat, you know, okay, he's approaching Philemon at, from the basis of what? Friendship. That's right. That's right, Mike. He's approaching Philemon from the basis of friendship, not his what? Authority as an apostle. Now, he's going to bring that out in the letter. We're going to see that next week, okay? He's going to bring that out in the letter next week. So identifying himself as a prisoner of Christ reflects that the letter is one of request, not command. So what you're going to see is, by him not presenting himself as an apostle, but simply just as a prisoner of Christ, he's, this letter is simply a letter of request, not a command. He's not going to command Philemon to do anything here. Do you understand? And when you see what the issue is, it's a pretty serious issue. And But he's choosing not to approach the issue from his authority. Okay? He's choosing not to approach the issue from his authority. So, a lot of things we can learn there, right? So, notice something, as far as even our personal interaction with each other. Sometimes, you don't have to push who you are with a person. Do you understand? And, you, and, and that doesn't necessarily get you what you want. Do you understand what I'm saying? Sometimes you don't have to push who you are, especially when you're dealing with a friend. You just have to make the request and appeal to them on the basis of that, not on the basis of who you are. Okay? And we see that with the, the Apostle Paul. And we're going to see that because next week we're going to look at what the request is. Do you understand? We're going to look next week at what the real issue is here. Okay? What the real issue here. So he also identifies himself as, also greets them on behalf of Timothy. Okay? So Timothy's always with him. His spiritual son in the faith, fellow co-laborer. And so now notice the recipients. So this is a personal, this blows my mind, okay? Because when you look at the request and you look at the, the, the main part of the letter, it's really to Philemon. About what Philemon are you going to do about this situation? And here's the situation. Here's what I am asking you to do. So the letter's really to Philemon, okay? But when you look at who the letter's addressed to, it's addressed to four people. Well, three people and a group of people. It's addressed to Philemon, okay? The letter was addressed to Philemon, whom Paul called a beloved friend and a fellow laborer, okay? So first of all, yep, because he's talking to Philemon in this letter, the, it's also, Philemon had some wealth since he had slaves and the church men in his house. So obviously this is a rich dude. He's obviously a man of means because he has slaves and he has some wealth because he's able to host the church in his house. That was very common back then. 
that the, the wealthy members of the church would host the church in their house because they usually would have, a, have buildings or whatever that were big enough to have a group of people meet in their home. Okay? So, this letter is also addressed to Athea, I think that is a Greek name, so I'm having a hard time there, Athea, who is most likely the wife of Philemon. Okay? So he's including the wife in now, into this letter. Why do you think he's doing that? Huh? Uh, not Paul's a slave, but because the issue is concerning the slave. What were you going to say, Mike? Of the church, okay. Yes, yeah, so you want to you want to mention the hostess, okay? There might be another reason for her having compassion. Yeah, you know, it's like he's playing Paul smart, okay? Rather than just dealing with Philemon, because you're going to realize that Philemon is. Could has every reason to be ticked off about what this guy did. So he's including the female factor in here. Okay? Did, did you think that's wise? Okay. Yeah, he's including the female factor. Okay. Alright, so it's like the wife's going to be working on him now. You know, you heard what Paul said, you know. Okay. Alright. That works sometimes. Okay. Alright, here's the other one. That's the second person. But the letter was also addressed to Archippus, who possibly was an elder in the Colossian church. He's possibly the pastor. So it's not just to Philemon who's hosting the church, not just to his wife, but the letter is also addressed to Archippus, the pastor. Okay? To Archippus, the pastor. Wow. Alright? So the circle's widening, but it doesn't end there. This is what blows my mind. Finally, the letter is also addressed to the church that met in Philemon's home. Now, when we get to the body of the letter, you're going to notice that it's to Philemon. All right, let's stop for a moment. Why do you think he's addressing it to to all these other folks? I mean, we're talking a big group here. Now, it might only be 30 people. Okay. Okay. Or and blind copy a few too, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. So Bruce says is to get people on his side a little bit. Anybody else with a different thought or along the same lines? Okay. So he he's so he's not just picking one person. Okay. Well, that, that's possible. Uh, Rob, okay. Uh, here's the other one I, I would add to... Okay, Tina. Okay, that's what I was just going to say. Accountability. Tina said it. Accountability. Because he's going to ask Philemon to do things that are reflective of his relationship with Jesus. And who's going to hold you accountable to that? The wife? Maybe, but not completely. You know what that's like, right? Okay. Uh, the pastor, possibly, but here's the problem, we're meeting in your home, okay? But the whole church, now what, what's that got to deal with? Reputation. Do, do, do you understand what I'm saying? So there's a level of accountability here. So you know, Paul's pretty smart. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Paul's pretty smart, but he's going to approach it diplomatically, okay? 
But he's going to approach it diplomatically when he deals with the issues. So I want you to notice then that Paul bestows the traditional blessing of grace and peace from the Father and of Jesus Christ. If you notice in all of his letters, including the letters of Peter, this must have been a tradition in in uh, the church, early church, is that when they wrote their letters, they always bestowed a traditional blessing of grace and peace upon the reader. Okay, Grace, charis, is the Greek word, uh, which is the Greek greeting usually for people. Peace from the Jewish word, what? Shalom, which we know the Jews would greet each other with. So traditional greeting, traditional blessing that's bestowed there. When we get to verse, verses 4 through 7, we're going to see Paul's praise. Now here's the, here's the interesting thing. With all the letters in the ancient times, and if you look at, at any of the epistles, except for the ones that seem to be like circular letters, and those were just statements of doctrine or whatever, but in most of the letters where he begins identifying who he is, he'll identify who he is, who the letter is to, there's a blessing, and then there's either a praise or a thanksgiving. All ancient letters started out with a, with a praise or a thanksgiving. And that's what we see here in verse 4 to 7. He's going to give a thanksgiving. He's going to thank who he's writing to or praise them for something. And so that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about here. Because there's going to be one thing that comes out of this that, I, that, was, that blew me away when I read this. Okay? Look at verse 4, first of all. He says this, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers. Paul thanked God for them as he prayed for them continually. Over and over again, there is continually in Paul's letter an aspect of his prayer life that's always revealed, and that is that he is always praying for other people. Did you understand what I'm saying? He's always praying for other people. Now, I'm just going to be flat out honest with you. So you and I need to look at our prayer life, and if, if the person that we spend most of our time praying about is ourselves, there's a problem with our prayer life. Did you understand what I'm saying? Because what's going on is, is that we're spending all our time focused on who? Ourselves. But do you remember what Jesus said? Don't worry about what you eat or drink. Don't worry about the clothes that you wear. And then he says, look, consider the bird. Who feeds the birds? Do you know, do you know what I'm saying? Or, or consider, consider the fields when you see the flowers. Who clothes the fields with the flowers and so forth? Doesn't God take care of them? God will take care of you. You're his children. So when what's going on there is, is when we spend all our time focusing on ourselves, we're actually reflecting something about our hearts and our relationship with Christ or our lack of relationship with Christ. Do you know what I mean? And so really there needs to be a sense in which we pray for others. And here Paul's thanking God for them because he continually prays for them. He's always remembering them in prayer. Okay. Remember last week when we talked about this, I, I kind of challenged you to pick out one or two or three people in the church for you to pray for. 
Okay? Just pick them out. Don't tell them, I'm, I'm your secret prayer partner. You know, no, I'm not telling you to do that. First of all, do you need to do that? You should pray for others in the church. Don't say, I'm going to pray for the whole church. Folks, you'll get bored. Okay? You'll stop. But if you take interest in one or two or three, and you begin praying earnestly for them, making mention of them, first of all, here's a couple things that are going to happen. Number one, you're going to change towards them. Do you know what I'm saying? You're going to change towards them. And number two, you're going to be very interested in making sure that they grow spiritually. Okay? So he's giving thanks. Here's the thing that he gives thanks for. He gave thanks for their love and faith, which they had towards Jesus Christ and believers. So what do I pray about other people? Well, if they're a believer, you can pray that praise God and thank God that they know Christ, right? That they're going to heaven. That they're saved. And what you also want to pray for is, is give thanks that maybe they show love towards others, especially other brethren. If they don't, you want to pray, God, may they learn to express love, your love towards others. This is what he was praying for them. He gave thanks for the love and faith which they had towards Jesus Christ and believers. We see that in verse 5. Now look at verse 6. This is the one that where I kind of had to think a moment. I've read this so many times before, but this kind of just kind of blew off the page at me when I was reading it here a few weeks ago. That the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. So here he's going to talk about evangelism, their witness. So he's going to pray for them concerning their witness. Now two things I want to point out here. First one, we've just already know. Paul prayed that the sharing of their faith would be effective. Okay. You want to know how to pray for, I told you, think in your mind three people, okay? Or if you want to pray in general for other believers. One of the things that you can definitely pray for is that their witness, their sharing about Jesus would be effective. Do do you you understand what I'm saying? Because all of us, we work with people, we have family, we have people that we connect with who don't know Jesus Christ, right? Who are not saved. And, and there are people that we would love to see come to know faith in Christ, right? Is that not true? All right. What, what would it do for you to know that somebody else is praying that you would be effective in your sharing? Would that be helpful? To at least know that when I do share, somebody's been praying that when I share, I'm effective. Okay? So that's the first thing he's doing here. But see, that's not the thing that really knocked me off my socks. Okay, out of my socks. Okay? It's the second part here. Look at what he says here, the second part. Look at verse 6. By, how do you become effective in sharing? Look at what it says here. By the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. All right, now let's stop for a moment. I'm gonna, I don't usually do this. I'm going to ask you before I present to you what it's saying there. What do you think he's saying? What do you think he's saying there? He's saying, first of all, first part of verse 6, I'm praying that you're effective in your sharing. 
And then he throws in this word by acknowledging. So that's tied to the effectiveness in sharing. What's he saying there? Okay, so Brad, you're saying by your testimony. Okay, do you hear what Brad said? Okay, all right. What were you going to say, Sue? Okay, be able to see Jesus in you, which is another way of saying what Brad said. Anybody got something different? Okay, by seeing, okay, all right, seeing the good things that Christ has done in your life. Okay, that's good, Bruce. That's kind of similar to what they're saying, another component of that. Anybody different? Okay, because of what God is doing in your life. Okay, that's good, John. Anybody else? Okay, all of these are good answers. All of them are great. You should teach this class, okay? Here's what I want you to see. This is because they recognize the good things which they have in Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I want you to see now. I want you to think back to how we were taught to evangelize. How were we taught to evangelize? Anybody want to share? As you think back on your church history, when you were told to share about Jesus, what were you told? Well, Romans Road, okay? Alright, what else? Okay, so what you're saying, Tina, is it's, it's pointing out where they're wrong, okay? Pointing out where they're wrong versus pointing out what God's doing in your life, okay? Alright. Alright, that's good. Anybody else? How were you, how were you taught to evangelize? Because every one of you is going to have a different answer. That's okay, I just want to know how, but we're going to see what the scripture tells us here, okay? How were you taught? Okay. All right. And you're a salesman too, Bruce. Okay. All right. All right. He's good. Okay. Anybody else? How? How? Sue. Scare him out of hell. Okay. All right. A lot of people are like, yeah, that's true. Okay. What else? Now, let me ask you something. Was it impersonal? Hardly knew half the people. Yes, it was impersonal. All right, look what he's saying here. Verse 6. Praying that you are effective in your sharing by, your sharing by acknowledging. What he's saying here is that the approach to evangelism is to go to them and to talk with them about what Jesus Christ is doing in your life. Did you understand what I'm saying? The difference that Jesus Christ is making in your life. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? And, and you could talk about, and how can I talk about that? Well, you know, I could talk about that Jesus Christ dealt with my sin in my life. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? That he forgave me in my life. He gave me a new purpose in my life. Do, do you understand? I think that's a whole lot more effective than the impersonal sales pitch. Turn or burn. You know, do you know what I'm saying? 
you know, Turner Burke. I mean, because, because think about it. Some people, the old way, the, a lot of people pray prayers. Have you noticed that? Do they mean them? Let's be honest. Do they mean them? Sometimes, but many times not, because they just want you out of here. I may remember Thursday or Tuesday night visitation, where you just went and knocked on doors, and you and, and I can't believe people would actually let you in their home. They won't do that anymore, okay? And they would let you in your home, and you would sit around and you'd talk about this, and talk about the Steelers, and talk about hunting, and then you get to the gospel. And and they're kept, have you noticed they kept looking at their watches or looking at the clock on the wall, you know? And they're like, okay, come on, come on, get to it, you know. And then as soon as they prayed the prayer and got saved, you notice people didn't hang around very much. Okay, we got to go, we got to go to the next one, because we got to get back to give our report. Did we ever see them in church? Sometimes, yeah, but a lot of times, most of the time, no. Do you understand? Because it's very impersonal. Okay? But my whole thing, as I want you to see here, is this is what blew me away, is... Yeah, you and I are to be witnesses, but here's what I'm saying. So many of you are not witnesses because your concept of sharing Jesus was this other stuff that we talked about. And you said, I'm not comfortable with doing it that way. I'm not comfortable with that. It doesn't feel right. How many of you felt that way? It doesn't feel right. Do you know what I'm saying? And, and I feel like a jerk. And so you don't share, right? Am I right in saying that? We don't share. But how unnatural would it be for you to be effective by simply just sharing what God's doing in your life? So, okay, you're going through a crisis. Everybody at work knows you're going through the crisis. And somebody says to you, hey, Brad, can I talk to you for a moment? How are you getting through this? Because, man, if I were you, I'd be like, ah! How are you getting through this? What's just presented itself to Brad? And what does he have to share? Well, you know, the Romans Road says, turn or burn! What's God Brad got to share? The door just opened for him to share about what? The good things God's doing in his life. Do you understand what I'm saying? The good things that God's doing in his life. Now, stop. There's different ways to share, okay? There's different ways to share. People have different ministries. But for most of you, it's simply going to be the sharing with others that you interact with on a daily basis, the good things that God is doing in your life. Do you understand? It doesn't have to be the turn or burn thing. You just simply go to the person of Jesus Christ. Did you understand what I'm saying? And where they are in their relationship with Jesus Christ. So, this is because the effectiveness in sharing, he's praying, this is what Paul's praise is. He's praying that they would share effectively the gospel by what? Acknowledging what? What God's doing in their life. Okay, now that brings up another point. How's your relationship with Jesus? Because if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you've got nothing to share. If Jesus is not real to you, 
you've got nothing to share. Did you understand what I'm saying? Why would they want to have anything to do with Jesus? Because he's not real to you. That, that's the point. Do you understand what I'm saying? So your relationship with Christ is tied to your sharing in evangelism. In fact, if you come on Wednesday, um, the study question talks about your prayer life being connected, I think the one chapter, your prayer life being connected to the sharing of the gospel. Why would that be? Because it's reflective of your relationship with God. Okay? Your relationship with God. Alright, now, let's go on here. Here's the, their impact. We're going to end with this. Paul stated that he and his companions found joy in their service to other believers. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because of the hearts of the saints that have been refreshed by you, brother. So Paul's saying, look man, just hearing what you're doing for others who are believers refreshes my soul. Refreshes my companion's soul. You know, I'll be honest with you, one of the greatest things for me as a pastor is when I hear, and I usually hear about it through some channel or means, about others helping out others. That's that's an awesome thing because you begin to you realize, man, that just brings joy to me because you hear Christ working through others for the sake of others. That's awesome. That's what he's talking about here. Okay? Now next week we're going to look at the personal request. We're going to look at the personal request.